If you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. I want to thank you, Miss Leanne, for that song. You know, we've got something that the world does not have and that the world cannot offer, and we can find no rest unless we put our hope in God. Thank you so much uh, for that beautiful song. I'll tell you this, he's still on the throne, and we still have a reason to hope in God. We, we took a mission team of some teenagers, and I've, I see them dotting around here. They're not quite as many as there normally is on a Sunday morning. I guess they're sleeping in this morning, and they deserve their rest because they work very hard. Hey, Clay, there's Clay. Hey, you made it right, buddy. Um, uh, but they work very hard. We saw uh, uh, one child come to know Jesus as his Savior. We even performed a baptism in the swimming pool. That's the first time I'd ever done that. And the second time that I got to preach to a bunch of people floating around a swimming pool. So that was, uh, that was uh, an eventful thing to do. But we had a wonderful time. And beyond that, each of these young people witnessed and shared their faith uh, in Jesus with others. And we're just praying that that spills out all over the place, all over the school when they go back all over the sports teams and and so pray for these young people uh they are very bold in their faith and it's an unusual and wonderful thing that we have uh we are going through the book of revelation uh, in our sunday school and I, I realize that started today and in revelation chapter three this is something that god spoke to me a while back about uh, the church of laodicea and uh, i'm sure that you've heard this church uh this subject preached about a lot uh but but this fueled my fire when I read this because I'm, I realized that maybe sometimes I'm missing exactly what the people in this church were missing, and I'm sure you're going to find it as we read verses 14 down through verse 22 about the church of Laodicea, and Jesus says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, a few years back, my wife Karen and I decided that we would have a lunch date at one of our favorite spots. It was a, a Greek restaurant in a town called Comac, New York. Anybody ever been to Comac or been through Comac? Probably not. Uh, but but this, this place is one of those kind of places you can always get a seat at dinner time, but lunchtime they are just covered up. So we pulled into the parking lot and uh, it was just a day like any other day, except there were no cars in the parking lot. We thought they were closed, but we saw that lights were on inside, so we're figuring up, you know, maybe they're doing some renovations or, you know, a 
cleaning or, or whatever. So uh, I told Carrie, I'm going to go to the door and see if they're open, and I'll wave to you to come on in if they are. So I'll go to the door. Sure enough, they were open, so I'll wave for them. And, and, and we go in, and we are the only people in this restaurant that is usually just teeming with people. It was, it was just kind of weird. Something felt like it wasn't just right. But anyway, the waitress came, we placed our drink order, we're sitting there uh, sipping on our water or whatever, trying to figure out what it is we're going to eat. And this smell emanates from the kitchen. It's not the smell of food cooking. It, and it gets worse and it gets worse, and it gets. So we asked the waiter, uh, the waitress, "What in the world is going on in this place? I mean, that smell is terrible." She said, "They're working on the plumbing, but it's okay. They said they'll be done in thirty minutes." Well, I only planned on being in there for thirty minutes. But have you ever been in a situation like that where you where you where you walk in, maybe even into a church? This was a church that had a problem. You, you ever go to church with a relative or a friend and people are nice and the music sounds good and maybe the preaching is good, but there's something that's just a little off and you can't put your finger on it. That's what was going on in the church of Laodicea. And among all the things that Jesus says about them, he really brings out this idea of them being naked and blind. And what he means by that is everybody else could see their problem. They knew that there was a problem, but the people who were there had no idea. And it was so funny to see those waitresses and the managers and the cooks. They were just going about their business like normal. I guess they were used to the odor, but we couldn't stand it. So so I had the waitress bring our, our little card, our uh, ticket, and uh, uh, she she didn't come back for about five minutes. And I looked at Karen. I said, we got to get out of here. So I just laid cash on the table and we left. But you know, uh, sometimes we, we uh, get this way in the church, naked and blind, think about that. Other people could see their shame. Jesus could see their shame, but they couldn't see it themselves. Why? Because they'd become so self-sufficient. They were going through the motions in regards to church and in regards to their relationship with God. They were stuck in a pattern of life where they had no real need for Jesus. They had no real need for God. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really needed God? I think we need to get the church back into the state of needing God. And what you're going to see in this scripture is that it starts with individuals. You know all the all the life action ministry, the uh, preaching leading up to that, uh, that Brother John did so well, and the preachers that are... You know, revival really starts in the home. We're we're going to touch on that uh, a little bit today. But we need the Lord. There's been some times in my life our first child uh, passed away in the womb at about 24 weeks old. So it was beyond what you would normally call a miscarriage. We had a funeral. We had a burial. We, we had everything for this baby. And we needed God at that point in our lives so bad. And, and churches would call people. We had people from Arkansas and Missouri we didn't even know. We heard about your situation. And I want you to know that our church is praying for you. You're on our prayer list and we're praying for you on Wednesday night. We needed the Lord so bad then. But let me tell you what. I need Him more today than I did then. You realize how much what happens today, there's a lot riding on how we raise our children. There's a lot riding on our our whole future, our whole destiny. Um, so, So we need God. And here's three ways that this scripture covers, and I'm sure there's more. There's lots more reasons why we need God, but there's three that I want to bring out here today. And the first thing, and this, this is kind of 
a sore subject, but we need God's discipline. We need God's discipline. Discipline is key to discipleship. In fact, the root of each word is the same. Discipline and discipleship. Let me, let me say this. I want to be considered a disciple. I've heard some guys talking about this lately. I want to be called a disciple. You call me a Christian or you call someone a Christian, that's kind of a loose term. You realize that? Because lots of different people have, have all kinds of ideas about what that term means. Like we could go out right now. There's tons of people not at church. Probably, there's, there's people still hung over from last night. There's people that, that, that are doing all kinds of things. They have all kinds of reasons why they don't want to be in the house of the Lord today. And, and not to knock, but I'm glad you guys are here. But if we could go around door to door and knock on doors, and, and probably 90% of the people that we, we would find would say, I'm a Christian. You know, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because I was baptized. Are you a Christian? Yes, I was confirmed. Are you a Christian? Yes, I've been born again. Well, praise the Lord. Are you a Christian? Yes, I prayed the prayer. I remember it was at a vacation Bible school. Are you a Christian? And, and people have all these different ideas about what it means to be a Christian. It's kind of a vague and loose term. And anyway, if you follow me around for a week, you know what Christian means? It means Christ-like. If you follow me around for a little while, long enough, you find out I'm not as Christ-like really as I ought to be. So I want to be called a disciple. It's a very narrow term because if, if, you, if you say, I am a disciple of Christ, that means I am committing myself to him, to follow him, to grow in grace and the knowledge of him every single day. And if I say that to you, I consider myself a disciple of Christ. Now, all of you can hold me responsible to that. So, so it's a very narrow term, it's a, it's a touchy term, but it's a term that we should use more and it's what throughout the, the New Testament, the followers of Jesus are called. You really, Christian only appears, the word Christian only appears in the, in the New Testament three times, but disciples is all over it. So we need to be disciples. A disciple, a good follower, both disciplines himself and receives the discipline of his master of his coach, of his teacher, of his mentor. Sometimes this is tough. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sometimes God's discipline cuts deep. And that's a tough word. But that's not the whole picture. You see, we, when we read about this church in Laodicea, God is not just wanting to judge us and to condemn us and to, no, we're, we're beyond all that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. But what he does with these people is he disciplines them and he tells them why. I chastise those that I love. I discipline my children because I hate them? No, because I love them. They start to walk towards the road. I'm going to discipline them. Why? I don't want them to get killed. And, and, and Jesus is doing the same thing. I don't want you to live this mediocre, ho-hum kind of life. You've got problems you don't realize. And you need me and you need my discipline. While it hurts, God's discipline is always necessary. It's always good. And it always moves us beyond our sin and our lack of faith 
to the life that he wants us to leave. So the next time God is raking you over the coals about something and you know that, that, that you are reaping the consequences of your sin or that you're reaping the consequences of your lack of faith, be glad because he disciplines those that he loves. And he always gives us the way out. The next thing, we need God's discipline. We do, no matter how much we don't like it sometimes. We need God's discipline. We need God's power. We need God's power. Without God's power, we live and operate outside of God's perfect will. And what this means is this, that that serving him and walking with him becomes more of a guessing game where works are elevated above faith. Here's what I mean by that. If, if, if we are not walking in God's will and by God's power, we lay our heads on our pillow at night, and when we go to pray, our prayers sound something like this. Dear God, I hope you are pleased with me today. I hope that you are proud of me today, and that you will accept the things that I've done, and that they will glorify you and honor you. When we've kind of got the cart before the horse, right? We need to seek God's will during the day so we absolutely know that our works and everything that, that we do glorifies Him. It's, it's not really a, 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 a different mindset. It's, it's just a whole different way of doing things, living in the will of God, not playing guessing games about God's will, but walking with Him. Um, here's something else. God's power, we need God's power. Without God's power, we rely on our own resources, our own intellect and wit. And what we see about these uh, people in this city called Laodicea, these Christians, these disciples, uh, they had become wealthy. They were doing pretty well for themselves. And there was a time when they needed God and they realized that they needed God. Persecution was going on, bad stuff in other places was going on, but that time wasn't now. So they got to the point where they felt like they didn't need God. We got enough money to make us happy. We've got enough money to give us hope and rest. But guess what? They were drying up. They were drying up. And they didn't have real hope. They didn't have real rest. And they were relying on their own intellect and skills and wit to try to spread the gospel and to try to be the church. And it just don't work. We can't do the Christian life and we can't do Christian service without Jesus. And and I love where he says at the end, this is what the Spirit says to the churches. We need the Spirit of God in order to live for Him. That's just the way that that it's supposed to work. When we rely on our own resources, it gives us a limited view of what God is willing to do. We think God will only do this much and God wants to do so, 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 so much more. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we need, don't need to limit our Christian service and our values and our day-to-day walk by our own resources. We need to get in touch with 
the power of God. Without God's power, we are busying ourselves with meaningless activity. You remember what busy work was in elementary school? Maybe you got busy work. I, I remember in second grade, the first time that I got busy work. And I'm sure connecting the dots and circling the words and doing crossword puzzles must have been a good thing in some way. But it was kind of not related to the objective of teaching me how to read and teaching me how to write and arithmetic and mathematics. It was a a big stretch to say that that had anything to do with the main goal of the thing. And when we get away from God's Spirit, we get away from God's power, we can do that individually. We can do that as the church, just busying ourselves with meaningless activity, getting stuck in a rut, getting stuck in a routine, and missing Jesus, we can't do that. Here's something else. Without God's power, we see very little real lasting results. Without God's power, why? Why are we here? Why do we do this? We need Him. We need Him every single day of our life. So, three things. We need God's discipline. We need God's power. And the last thing that I want to share with you we need God's presence. The root cause of, of all the problems that this church of Laodicea that we read about in Revelation three fourteen through 22 is that they had shut out Jesus. They, didn't, they probably didn't even realize they had done it. They didn't realize that he was on the other side of the door, outside of the door, standing there and knocking. Yeah, sometimes we, we miss what this text is about and, and, and really the, the whole passage because there's so many scriptures out of here that we, maybe we memorized, uh, those who've been a Christian for a long time. Some, you know, sometimes people who haven't been a Christian that very long get this a little bit better than us who, who have for a long time. Because we, we say, okay, um, here's, here's what the scripture is about. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's read verse, verse 20 again. This is, this is the scripture I'm talking about. Revelation three twenty says, Behold, this is Jesus, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. For a lot, long time we've made this, uh, we say this is an evangelistic passage. That Jesus knocks on the door of our heart and if we'll receive him in, that we will be saved. But it's clear that this is a message not to the unbeliever, but a message to the church. And we know that this church was lukewarm and their, uh, I don't know if their worship services were kind of dry or kind of whatever, but they, uh, I don't know what was going on in that church. But, 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 but we, we look at it and, and, and we say, you know, maybe what Jesus is saying is that if there's a really strong believer in the church, if, if he will open the door and kind of get everybody else fired up, We'll be back on the right track with the Lord. But what the, but the, what the Scripture really is talking about here, he says uh, uh, in verse 20 again, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. Not to the church. We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about an individual believer. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. You know, this door that we've talked so much about all these years is more than anything is the door to the home. If you will open the door to Jesus in your day-to-day life, He will come in and sup with you and you will experience His presence. And we 
need and cannot do without the presence of God. There's no substitute. There is nothing that we can do. There's no amount of serving. There is no amount of study that's going to take the place of God's manifest presence working on our heart and life. You see, even when our hearts are set on pleasing God, we can miss Jesus. We can miss his presence. Take a day like today. Music was great. I love the song Miss Leanne sung. The fellowship has been good. It's so great to see y'all shaking hands and crossing aisles and walking from here to there and there to here and, 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 and all that. But, but you know what? If we don't meet with Jesus when we come together, we've missed it. We have really, really missed it. And you know, this church is much, much better than most. But we need to make sure that we don't ever let that slip. Because if I don't meet with Jesus today, in the whole scheme of my life, today was a waste. Right? I'll tell you this though. If I don't meet with Jesus on Monday, Monday's a waste. If I don't meet with Jesus on Tuesday, Tuesday is a waste. If I don't meet with Jesus on Wednesday, and so it goes for every day of the week, and I don't want to waste my life anymore. I want to open up that door and let him come in and sup with me and I with him. So we need to take the steps of whatever that we need to do in our home, in our day-to-day life, that we can make sure that we meet with God, we experience His presence, we experience His power, and we are willing to receive the correction of a loving, loving Father who has prepared a wonderful and beautiful place for us. That's why it's so important. We have to redevelop, reconsider our need for God. We need Him. It's not just that we desire Him or that we want Him We need Him, and we can do nothing without Him. You know, there might be somebody here today, and you say, I've never really experienced these things that you've talked about. I've never experienced the presence of God and the power of God in my life. I asked our mission team while we were on the trip, did you ever have a time when you really thought the Spirit of God came on the scene? In yourself? Have you experienced the power of God in yourself? Have you experienced the power of God moving uh, in someone else? Maybe in a church service or at home while you're praying or your, your mother, your father, your grandmother. Have you experienced that power of God? And if you have not, the first time that you do is when you put your faith and trust in Him. I told our guys this week they were doing, they were doing, just so such a good job of sharing their faith. We uh, we had one day where we got rained out, couldn't go to the beach and pass out our water and do our uh, evangelism. And uh, so they made gospel bracelets. You know what those are with all the different... They made gospel bracelets. And, they, and we set them loose on an outlet mall. Huge outlet mall. Y'all know the outlet mall on Gulf Shores? You know the place, right? Some of you do. Set them loose on that place. And, and, they, and they went. They went out and all of them shared the gospel with the people who worked there. And it it was just an awesome thing. But I told them this. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, the, the job is to share, not to seal the deal. Only the Holy Spirit can seal the deal. But if you share, you've been 
faithful. There might be somebody, though, that needs the Holy Spirit to seal the deal for them today. You are seeking the power of God. You came here to meet with God today. Otherwise, why come? You came here to meet with God. You came here looking for God. And He's there. He wants to find you. He is seeking you out just the way that you're seeking Him. And He wants to save you and come into your heart and into your life and turn it upside down and change everything. And if that's you today, we're going to have a time of invitation, Brother David and and Brother Jason, if you'll come. We're going to have a song. Whatever God is speaking to you about today, maybe maybe it's just that, that, that you need to be more open to receive the discipline of God. Maybe it is that, that you've kind of been going, going by your own resources and your own power and your own wits in following God and pursuing God and, 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 and trying, to, trying to manufacture or trying to make, fabricate the power and presence of God and you can't do it and you realize, I need to rely on Jesus. I need to rely on Him more. Or maybe you're here and you say, I've never experienced God's presence and I want His presence to move and work in my life. If that's you, this altar is for you. Won't you come forward? I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, You will not be judged. Jesus is ready to meet you with open arms. Let's stand and stand and sing and sing and sing and sing this song.